Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Nats Town. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page and FederalBaseball.com. It is 3 a.m. in the East, 12 out west where Dave is. Dave Nichols from the District Sports page. I'm Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball. The Nats 10-0 win in San Diego tonight. More late-night Nats for everyone. If you stayed up, good for you. It was a fun game to watch for Nationals fans after a disappointing outing last night. Dave will get right into it. Odrasimer Despania, Despania. I've been practicing it all night, and I'm never going to get it right. Two and one, five one, five one three ERA, five three zero FIP, two twenty two eighty four, four thirty line against in 2015, one seven seven ERA, one seventy seven batting average against as a starter in Petco. Facing the Nats for the first time in his career, it did not go well for Mr. Despania. Four straight singles to start the first. one nothing at that point. Zimmerman walks in a run. 2 nothing. Double play grounder off of Ramos' bat. 3 nothing. Ian Desmond single. 4 nothing. You see how this is going. 41 pitch first. 7 nothing after three innings. 88 pitches before he's done for the night. We saw this with Doug Fister last night. Mr. Despina did not last long tonight, and the Nats kind of rallied against him the whole time he was out there. Yeah, you know, Despondia had put up a couple of decent outings earlier in the season, and uh, um, the last couple of times out, I think uh, um, there's some, been some regression to the mean. Uh, obviously, he's not a very heralded prospect, but uh, um, the Nets really stuck it to him tonight. I mean, you know, single after single after single, and, um, you know, a couple of hard-hit balls, and they just uh, uh, kept, uh, you know, kept, he kept the line moving, and you know it's a, it's a good night for you when your pitcher's batting before he throws a pitch. So, um, you know, it's just a, a nice night to see the bats break out. They're season high in hits, um, another 10th spot up on the board as far as the runs go. And after a slow start to the season, the Nats are now uh, um, starting to creep their way up the leaderboard as far as runs scored and uh, on-base percentage, and, and, it's a, and it's a welcome sight. 16 hits, 10 runs total, 10 of those hits. Seven of those runs off of Despagne. He's not, not lasted long in this game. Three innings and out of there. So they had a piece together to start from the bullpen. On the complete other end of the spectrum, Jordan Zimmerman enters the game two and two, four two zero ERA, three four one FIP, two eighty one, two eighty six. I'm sorry, three thirty one, three forty eight line against on the year, two and two, one nine zero ERA, one eighty nine, two seventeen, two ninety six line against, and forty seven in the third innings pitch versus the Padres. And in Petco Park, 0.60 ERA, 163, 187, 259. Uh, three innings pitched, 30 innings, I'm sorry, in, in 30 innings pitched altogether in Petco. Four scoreless to start. Bases loaded, no out in the fifth. He gets a K, a pop to left, a ground out the first. He gets out of the bases loaded, no out jam. Five scoreless on, on 77 pitches. On the night, he ends up going six, gives up six hits, one walk, six Ks, really dominant outing from Jordan Zimmerman. This is the Zimmerman we've been expecting all year, haven't necessarily gotten until now, but everything was working for him tonight on the mound. Yeah, just six singles, uh, six strikeouts against, um, you know, really sharp. And uh, he has a history of, of pitching very well against the Padres, especially in Petco Field or Petco Park. Uh, the Padres have already been shut out four times this year, so uh, it was a good combination to see uh, Zimmerman dominate against them tonight, and, and he did exactly that. Uh, um, you know, he was throwing all of his pitches, mixing everything up, and, um, you know, the velocity still a tick or two down, but, um, you know, uh, hopefully it's, uh, um, hopefully it's you know, nothing, you know, no telling sign physically, um, but he pitched really well tonight. And, 
um, and certainly uh, limited the Padres' opportunities to just that one inning. And like you said, uh, did a really good job of pitching out of trouble. Unfortunately for the Nationals and Nationals fans, and especially for Jason Worth, uh, Odrasmer Despaigne wasn't out there early enough. He ended up hitting Jason, uh, Jason Worth with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball off the left, left wrist. Really caught him flush. Luckily, he had a wrist guard on there with all the history of wrist injuries he has. He goes out there well protected, but Worth went down in a way I haven't seen Jason Worth go down in a while. It didn't look like it. it looked like it really hurt him. He left the game after he tried to go out to the field and test it. Matt Williams says after the game, x-rays are negative. We'll see how he responds tomorrow. Matt Williams noted, too, he's had a bunch of injuries, multiple surgeries. He's got metal in there, so they want to make sure there's no problem, but did not look good for Jason Worth out there. No, it really didn't. And, you know, it's, it's troublesome that it, that it hits his left wrist, which he's uh, uh, obviously has a long history with. And, um, you know, the Nats could say that there were no x-rays there, but I'm sure it was swollen to the point where um, it was hard to read anything on the x-ray. Um, as yeah. Washington Wizards fans uh uh, fully know when, when John Wall broke his wrist uh, a week and a half ago, um, they said the x-rays were clean, and then it turns out that he had five microfractures in his wrist. So um, hopefully this isn't the case with Worth, that, uh, um, you know, that it was just sore and, and he'll take a day or two off and get right back in the lineup. But, um, but if he's not in the lineup tomorrow, then I think um, we've got cause for concern. But, um, again, we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and, uh, and take our uh, – um, take our Nats uh, medical news with a grain of salt until the player gets back in the lineup. We'll get to some of the other negative medical news in a few minutes, but we'll stick to the positives for a little while here. Wilson Ramos entered the game with a 16-game hit streak, hit streak 387, 409, 452 line over that stretch, four doubles, 10 RBIs. Single to right in the third gives him a 17-game hit streak. Ryan Zimmerman, his single, gave him a nine-game hit streak. When you got the whole offense rolling like this, it's Fan two for five, Escobar two for five, Jason Worth one for one before he left, Tyler Moore goes one for three when he comes on, Harper three for four, Zimmerman one for two, Ramos one for five, Desmond two for five, Espinosa two for four. This is a tough, it's a lengthy lineup. It's tough to get through for opposing pitchers, and they don't even have Anthony Rendon in the lineup at this point. Right. You know, they had uh, 16 total hits. Uh, I think they had five or six guys with multi-hit games. Um, you know, they just kept uh, turning the roster, turning the rotation over, just, um, you know, single after single after double after single, and uh, um, Harper's uh, Harper's big fly that, that added to it, so... Um, just a really impressive offensive display for the Nationals tonight. Um, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, like I said earlier, after the slow start with the bats, obviously, you know, they were missing three of their most important players, um, you know, right out of the gate. But uh, um, it's good to have uh, good to have the Nats scoring runs again and, um, you know, sneaking up on the Mets. They're only a half game behind the Mets, and um, they've made up seven and a half games, seven and a half games in the standings in 17 days. So, um, I think there's a little bit less uh, hand-wringing and a little less hair-pulling in that town, but, um, you know, it's just it's good to see the bats working. You mentioned Bryce Harper, three for four, two runs scored, two RBIs, hits his 13th home run of the season, as the Nationals noted on Twitter. He took a 2-0 slider from Sean Kelly, ends up in right field seat, solo blast for Harper, number 13. That's 13 and 159 plate appearances this season after he hit 13 and 395 last season. 
apparently Bryce Harper, when he's healthy, is a lot better player than he was the last two years when he was dealing with the knee, the thumb injury that he had to deal with. And we're seeing Bryce Harper exactly what he can do when he's as healthy as he is and when he's the player that he thinks he should be, as he said in a number of interviews recently. Yeah, you know, we've said oftentimes on this show that, you know, players dealing with wrist or hand injuries, um, they don't generate a lot of power, and we've seen it time and time again. Uh, Harper had some problem last year and uh, never really got into good uh, good hitting shape last year, but now that he's completely healthy, um, we're seeing that maturation process. He's laying off of bad pitches. He's looking for a specific pitch in a specific zone every time up, and, and when he gets it, he's just unleashing on it, and Saw it again tonight. I mean, this is a guy that uh, um, that is growing into a, a very legitimate uh, difference maker, um, game after game after game for the Nats now. We'll get into why AJ Cole is up in a minute, but first we'll talk about what he did on the mound tonight. Obviously, he didn't do too well when they called him up to make his MLB debut in Atlanta a few weeks back. Got hammered, absolutely hammered. Comes out tonight, three innings, one hit allowed, strikes out one. Ends up throwing a total of 37 pitches, 23 strikes, one, two, three innings in the first two frames. He gets out of the ninth, gets the old school three-inning save, his first save of his career. Really nice to see A.J. Cole. He's a prospect I've been touting for a while. I had to bite my tongue when everyone was trashing him after that start in Atlanta, but this is more like what I expected from A.J. Cole. Yeah, he was really, really good tonight. I mean, this is a guy that, uh, um, you know, has a big fastball. He's got a decent breaking ball. Um, got a change-up that, that he's still working on, but um, he looked really sharp tonight. I think the Padres kind of um, gave him uh, uh, gave him the benefit of the doubt once they were down 10-0, and they uh, uh, probably didn't grind out at bats like they wanted to. But, um, but again, you can't take anything away from him. He gave up one hit in three innings, didn't walk a guy. Um, just a really solid outing um, from a guy that, that obviously I think we can chalk up his um, debut in Atlanta to nerves a little bit because – um, A.J. Cole's got a lot of talent. I mean, he's the number two uh, pitching prospect for the Nationals for good reason. Um, he's on um, on a lot of people's top 100 prospects of the game, um, and I think we're going to see that, and I think, unfortunately, um, we're going to see that for, for most of the rest of the season at this point. I know you're on the doom and gloom end of this one. The reason A.J. Cole is up, Doug Fister placed on the 15-day DL with forearm tightness after last night's start. Before we heard that, I looked into his numbers a little bit for a post today. He's a ground ball pitcher. We all know that. His ground ball percentage down from 50, 54.3% in 2013, 48.9% last season, 489 career average to 40.9% so far this season in 32 and a third. Allowed five home runs, two of them in last night's start, 1.13 home runs so far this season, up from 0.99 last season, 0.77 career average. Home run to fly ball percentage, just pardon me with these numbers, but I think it all builds to what we're talking about here. Home run to fly ball percentage, 10.9%, up for the second straight season from 8.9 in 2013 to 10.1 last year, up again, 8.6 career average home run fly ball percentage, so velocity we've talked about. Sinker's down from 87.8 last season, 88.7 over his career to 86.1. It might not seem like a lot, but that two miles an hour difference is really big, especially when you're not locating your pitches. And you hear today the forearm tightness. We all know what everyone thinks of the first time they hear that. And it's, I don't know, code word is how you put it on Twitter, but 
it's usually uh, the first mention of that leads to something with the elbow. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's something in the forearm. There have been a few times in recent years when it turned out to just be something with the forearm and a muscle injury, but not good news from Doug Fister today. No, it's not. I mean, all of those stats that you just read off, um, um, you know, coupled with the loss in velocity, um, the, the the rate that he was giving up uh, – um, fly balls this year. I mean, it just it just screams elbow injury. I mean, there, there's nothing to it. Um, it's a shame, you know, after such a great season last year that um, that Fister, you know, is having troubles this year. But um, you know, they said they said before the game when they put him on the disabled list that, that something you know cropped up you know last night after the rain delay. Well, I you know I, I just can't believe that. I mean, you're looking at the stats and you look at him pitch and and the way that. Uh, um, the way that he has pitched this year and the numbers that he's been able to produce, um, he's been hurt. I mean, whether the player's been hiding it or the player um, hasn't been able to acknowledge it for one reason or another, um, he's been pitching hurt all year. And it's obvious, um, you know, with all of the numbers and the drop-in velocity and everything else. So it, it's a shame. Um, like you said, hopefully it's just a forearm injury, but it's so very rarely just a forearm injury. I mean, you know, you don't lose velocity like that, you know, with a, with a strain in your forearm. Um, and the number the number of forearm surgeries in the history of baseball is so much more minuscule than, than elbow injuries. So, um, yes, you know, hashtag doom and gloom, but um, it's pretty easy to read the tea leaves here based on the information that we have. Yeah, what I was saying was that I, I almost hope it's something that has been bothering him all year rather rather than something that was caused by him warming up, waiting for two hours, and then going back out there for the start. It would be really frustrating, I think, if that's how he ended up injuring himself. But like you said, there's numbers there that show that something's been off all year. Maybe it just exacerbated it last night, but they're going to have him checked out tomorrow. They actually mentioned, Matt Williams mentioned, that the uh, Nationals team doctor is also the Wizards team doctor. He's apparently very busy these days, as you discussed, so... Doug Fister on his way back to D.C. to get looked at tomorrow. They might have an update for us then, but Nationals have to make some decisions going forward. Ken Rosenthal reported Fister going on the D.L. If the injury lingers, Tanner Roark is in reserve for the Nationals rotation, but he'd need to be stretched out. They stretched him out this spring, but he's been working solely out of the pen so far. Hasn't really gone very long other than that one start filling in for uh, when Cole blew up early. Tanner Roark came on and did a good job there of keeping them close and getting them back in the game. But uh, according to Rosenthal, the Nationals view A.J. Cole and Taylor Jordan as initial options if a starting pitcher is injured, promoting Cole to replace Fister in the rotation at this point. This was his day to throw, so he came out of the pen today. But what do you think they're going to do going forward? What do you think they should do? Do they get Tanner Roark back in their rotation, or do they go with one of the young kids and keep Roark in the role that they have him in now since they moved him there? Well, I thought it was really interesting that that they pitched him today, that they pitched Cole today and, and let him go and pitch three innings. You know, you mentioned that, that, that it was his day to throw anyway, so that, that makes a logical sense. Um, the Roar thing is what, is what fascinates me here. I mean, here's a guy that um, that has made the move to the bullpen. Uh, he's picked up a mile or two per hour, you know, on his fastball, um, knowing that he's only going to be going for an inning, maybe a second inning, so he's able to let loose a little bit more. Um, but his strikeout rate is way down. He's not striking. He didn't strike a whole lot of guys last year, um, but his strikeout rate is down even further from that. So um, it's interesting that, that yes, he's made the transition to the bullpen, but um, it really hasn't been, um, you know, the A one hundred percent transition that they would have loved to have seen. So uh, if they do send him, you know, maybe they send him down to the minors to stretch him out for a couple of starts, 
Um, maybe they leave him in the pen and they just have Cole pick up, um, you know, since he's on Fister's day to start anyway. Um, I, I think it's an interesting situation. I would personally would rather see Cole continue to pitch every five days, whether that's in the major leagues or in the minor leagues. So if, if they go with Cole for a start or two and he has good success, maybe they roll with him. If it looks like that, that hey, maybe that they want to have him more seasoned, um, maybe that gives them time to stretch out Roark, or maybe that gives them time, um, you know, to, to go find another bullpen piece. It's, uh, um, I think they've got a lot of options available to them. Uh, I frankly don't see Taylor Jordan as one of those options. I don't think that he's a major league uh, starter, especially for um, a pennant contending team. So uh, we'll see what they do. Like I said, my preference is to see Cole start every five days, whether it's in the majors or the minors. But if this is a long-term injury, meaning – um, you know, meaning surgery or he has to go on the shelf for a several month period. Um, I'm perfectly happy with the Nats rolling the dice with AJ Cole on the fifth slot every day. Yeah, I'd like to see him out there too. And I'm kind of arguing with myself as we go along here because I just, much as I think about it, I, I'd like to see AJ Cole up in the majors and, like you said, starting wherever he is starting on a regular basis and not messing around with moving him to the bullpen. He hasn't worked out of the bullpen in his minor league career, so that would be a big transition for him when he was already stretched out to start the season. I also am the argument I'm having with myself is that you have Tanner Roark here, a guy who's shown he can win 15 games in a season and really came in off a big year last year, was moved out of the rotation because they were so uh, stacked when they signed Scherzer. But you do have a guy capable of winning 15 games, putting up seriously good numbers in the majors, sitting in there and just, you know, not starting them for a long period of time. It's just an interesting decision on the Nationals' part and a tough one they probably didn't want to have to make. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you never want a pitcher go down, especially a pitcher in, in the last year of his contract. I mean, this is the um, you know the, the nightmare scenario that the Nats have, have been carrying with all these players, um, you know, with open contracts at the end of the year. If they get hurt, um, you no longer have that asset. I mean, if you play if you play the, the scenario where, where Fister is hurt and he needs surgery, I mean, that's just a double whammy that the Nats a don't get the benefit of the player in the final year of his contract, but B, um, you know, they lose the asset. I mean, these are all guys that potentially could be traded at the trade deadline um, to restock uh, the minor league system or to find a piece that they might need somewhere else. Um, And now if Fister's hurt, they don't have that option to them, and they have less options, um, you know, if they move Roark into the starting rotation or Cole or or whatever. So um, it's just just a shame that, that this happens, and, um, obviously, we're, we're making all these conjectures without knowing uh, what the extent of the injury is. But uh, um, you know, that, that's that's why we have these jobs to, to, to speculate before we have the, the the facts in front of us. Yeah. And speaking of baseless speculation, did you read about Tulowitzki in the Nationals today? <laughs> we're not getting into that, though. I, I, I promise you. 20 and 17 on the year after the Big Ten nothing win tonight. Tomorrow is the matchup I was really looking forward to. Andrew Kashner for the Padres one and six 307 ERA. That another argument for why the win stat doesn't really count. That one and six record belies the talent that he has. Kashner versus Scherzer at 8:40 p.m. That's going to be a great matchup. Then Strasburg scheduled to go on Sunday. Going to be a real interesting one to see what he's able to do. Nationals 20 and 17, a half game out of first place in the end, at least now, as the Mets are tanking, as I kind of expected they would after the strong start. But see what the Nationals can do tomorrow, see if they can take two in a row from the Padres. Match Nightly, sponsored by District Sports Page and FederalBaseball.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Dave. Sounds good.